from what I'm seeing, it's taking this partner ecosystem approach and thinking not strictly in terms of what are these partner types that I have these resellers or I have these service providers because you've got to you got to be so flexible because partners are merging their business models. You got to have a very flexible approach to every partner and let them engage the way they want to engage with you and make sure that you're providing the tools and making it one simpler and less friction to work with you in those different modes, but you're providing all the tools and enablement that they need to be successful in those different models. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzione, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. How to achieve your greatest results in 2022. For this episode of the podcast, I was delighted to welcome an industry friend and fellow podcast host. Rob Spee, the host of the Channel Journeys podcast and a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel excellence. In this episode, Rob and I riff on the transformation we've been seeing these last two years, how technology and the channel are transforming, and advice for channel and alliance leaders on how to drive their greatest results in 2022. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed welcoming Rob Spee. Before we dive into the interview, I'm happy to announce that PartnerTap has become a founding sponsor of Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I've been friends with the founders of PartnerTap for many years, and PartnerTap is the only partner ecosystem platform designed for the enterprise. Their technology makes it easy to align channel teams with automated account mapping, letting you control what data you share while building a partner revenue engine. I'm so excited to have them on board. Be on the lookout for events, content, and more. And I'm so excited to continue working together in our exciting year ahead. Rob, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Vince. Great to be here. I am so excited to finally have you as a guest on this podcast. Flip seats with with you, in fact. You're the host of the Channel Journeys podcast. We got to meet several years ago, and uh, I was a guest on your podcast. In fact, we re-released our episode together back in June of 2020. So it's been a long time since we spoke, at least on the air. Yeah, your big kickoff. You were my big kickoff. So I, it's great to have you reverse seats right now and have you as a guest on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Well, thank you. So for our one or two listeners who may not have listened or know you, can you tell our listeners about Rob Spee and the Channel Journeys podcast? Yeah, I am a channel geek. I've been a channel geek most of my career. Love working in the channel. Have done it from a lot of different seats, sitting in the vendor seat, the distributor seat, even as a partner myself. And just am super passionate about the channel. I run a channel team, recently joined Beyond Trust as their head of global channels. So we're we're mapping out our strategy and I get to apply all the great things that I learned listening to your podcast. It is so amazing to follow you along as well. And tell us a little bit about Beyond Trust. Yeah, Beyond Trust, we are a cybersecurity software company. 
been around for about 15 years and have enjoyed really rapid growth. And we leveraged the channel. And we'll talk a little bit about kind of the channel journey that we're going through because I think it, it's relevant to what you and I want to talk about. And Channel Journeys podcast, you've been really successful. It's been incredible to see all the great guests that you've had on your podcast. So we'll provide links in our show notes for our listeners. It's been another incredible year of rapid transformation, right? The second year of COVID, I would call it. I was hoping we could do a little bit of a recap on what you've seen since this rapid transformation really kicked into high gear and what partners can expect in 2022 today. Yeah, sure. That, that's a big question. And first, Vince, let me say you were one of my big inspirations for starting my co- podcast. So I got to thank you for that. There, First, it was my sailing podcast that I loved and enjoyed so much. And then it was finding your partnering podcast that inspired me to do something around channel journey. So shout out to you, first of all. Oh, thank you very much. It's a very kind. Of- You're very welcome. And it's really been fun on this journey, working on this journey with you too. But in terms of what are we seeing, what's been changing, you know, one of the biggest surprises for me has been, and not just from a partnering perspective, but seeing companies that were so fearful of having mobile employees. And I worked for one of them. It was just, we can't have mobile employees. Everyone's got to be in the office. And, and now that has changed so much and impacted the way that we do business and, and to see businesses and see partners closing so much business without any face-to-face selling has been just fantastic and just amazing to, to see, really. It really has been remarkable. And I worked in one of those organizations as well. We wanted everybody to meet at the water cooler. And that was the way we collaborated, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other big thing I've seen is that working in the channel for many years like you, it used to be that partners were so concerned about sales margins and discounts, right? In your partner program. And that is really moving and shifting away to partners being so much more concerned with what services revenue can I generate with your product? What's the services drag? And, and how are you going to help me not only do those services, but do it successfully and drive customer success? So that's really a big change too. And the other surprising thing though, Vince, that I'm seeing, and I'm still kind of surprised because I, I talked to a lot of folks, you do too, through the podcast, is how few vendors are looking at partner success particularly SaaS vendors, where customer success is so important, but they're not looking at partner success across the, the layer lens. So land, adopt, expand, or renew. That's interesting. Can you, can you expand on that a little bit with us, Rob? Yeah. So in the old transactional world, we wanted to train our partners, our resellers, how to land the deal, right? It was the big perpetual deal. And then we would collect maintenance year after year. So the big win was that big perpetual deal. And in the SaaS model, where the that big upfront wind isn't there. It's, it's a small upfront wind and it's the long recurring revenue that you want to generate. And so to get that, you've got to have customer success so that they keep renewing and you got to have a low churn rate. But if you look at the partner equation in that, if you're only looking at your partner from the transactional lens, you're missing such a big piece of the pie. So you've got to focus on how do you make your partner successful, not just in landing, but in the adoption, the expansion, the renewal and continuing that account and growing that account. Yeah, it seems like they're discounting the customer success component of it, right? Yes, yes. And time and time again, when I talk to folks and I ask them, well, what's, what does your partner success look like? And how are you driving customer success through, through the partners? You get a bit of a blank stare. It strikes me too, from a, I'll call a trust perspective. Like if I'm going to partner with you, this is a long, long range or long term engagement. And it's not just the one and done on the transaction side, which is what you're paying me on. It's the ongoing effort, right? And I think that we're, we're a lot of these SaaS software companies are missing that component to your point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So it's been it's an, been an interesting time. We last year at this time we were kind of hoping to be out the other side, and you and I were just talking about the most recent variant and the fact that we're not done yet with what we've seen. What have you seen though during this time that you didn't expect to see? Well, we were kind of talking about it, what the shift in in how we're working. There are shifts in the channel too that are taking place, and. One of the things, and we keep talking about this, and I was out at Channel Focus a couple months ago, and it was still kind of the debate. And everyone talks about the demise of some aspect of the channel, right? And it was, it was the demise of the VAR, the demise of the distributor as the advent of moving to the cloud and moving to the subscription model. And I think the surprise and the positive thing is that, well, it's not the demise, it's, it's the transformation of the channel. And the, the channel continues to be so important, maybe even more important to vendors as we're shifting to cloud and shifting to the everything as a service model. So I think that's a, a really great surprise for everyone. Yeah. And I, I do a lot of workshops for partners. I work across many different partners and partner types. And I spend a lot of time with SaaS software companies that maybe came from an on-prem world and they had a channel that was built around that. And now this subscription model, and they're working you know, primarily with the big cloud vendors, the big hyperscalers, the Microsofts, Amazons, and Googles of the world. And they're recognizing now that their channel isn't supporting their new business models. And we're seeing a lot of them having to reassess and triage, in fact. Like, who are the partners that are going to get me where I need to go? And I think you're seeing a lot of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's as you think about this new partner ecosystem that you're working with, what implication does that have on your partner program, your partner contracts, how you support partners? And it you know, infiltrates throughout your entire organization depending on how your organization was set up to work with the channel. Do you have any advice or what the best of the best are doing there? From what I'm seeing, it's taking this partner ecosystem approach and thinking not strictly in terms of what are these partner types that I have these resellers or I have these service providers, because you've got you to be so flexible because partners are merging their business models. So you got to have a very flexible approach to every partner and let them engage the way they want to engage with you. And make sure that you're providing the tools and making it, one, simpler and less friction to work with you in those different modes, but you're providing all the tools and enablement that they need to be successful in those different models. But there are you know, so many different opportunities for partners to, to work in different ways. And if you think about the kind of the buyer journey and all the touch points that buyers have potentially with your partner, even before you land the deal while they're just gaining interest in your product, then as they're buying and then implementing, there are all those different touch points and ways that partners can add value. I think that's so so fantastic for the channel that it's, there's just so many new opportunities for them to, to add value and participate with a vendor. Yeah. It's almost like we have to get rid of the labels, right? You mentioned this. You know, certainly, I worked at Microsoft. I sat on the other side of the table as well. And there's this propensity to want to stick you in a bucket. You're an ISV, you're an SI, you're an MSP or whatever, or channel transaction partner. And all these organizations, as you suggest, are transforming. These labels don't no longer make a lot of sense. And like SIs are becoming ISVs and every organization is becoming a technology organization. You, I, from your perspective, it, it, what you just said here is so valid in that you have to think about it from the customer's perspective, right? And we talk about, and we talk about our good friend Jay McBain as an example who talks about the five seats at the table. At least when he comes on my podcast, we talk about the five seats. The influence strategy is so important. So we need to think about it from the customer lens, as you suggest. But I, I think, though, in this idea of removing labels, we are hampered by our systems in that regard, because we've set up our systems with that old labeling. 
just the construct in Salesforce of labeling that who is the VAR. And I see it at my own company. I've seen it in prior companies. It's That's one of the challenges is just everybody's terminology is so warped and fixated on that labeling. And the shift is to more to the, what's the motion that you're doing with that partner. That's more important, not who is that partner, what is their partner type. I know a lot about, about the technology and systems and tools that are being used. And this is a, hopefully going to be the decade of the ecosystem. I think both of us have sponsors that are in this technology sector here that are supporting our podcasts. What are you seeing here? Are you seeing specific use case examples or vendors that are recognizing this and, and providing or, or addressing the gap, if you will? I think it's like every technology curve or wave. You've got your entrenched incumbents who have fantastic technology, but then you've got the, the young upstarts. And we have sponsors that are young upstarts that are coming in, very agile, born in the cloud, solving unique problems, right? But many times those are still just a piece of the equation. So now you got to think about, okay, how do I integrate these different solutions? And so you're always looking for that next big, really, truly, either really a truly integrated platform, or you get a platform that has really super easy integration. And I think a lot of vendors are going that route too. Yeah. And I think also like the best of breed, right? There's not going to be one monolithic solution that solves all my problems like the old SAP of the past type of solution. We're going to pick best of breed. We live in an API world where everything could be interconnected. I think that's what, that's what I'm starting to see happen on my side. Yeah. what Get the best of breed for partner mapping, the best of breed for managing that new influencer channel, best of breed for managing the partner ecosystem. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's dive in a little bit more here on what's been going on like this. We've talked about, I talk about the Accenture study it seems like it comes up on almost every podcast and every conversation these days because 76% of CEOs, every industry, every geography say their organizations are going to be unrecognizable in five years. A lot of it's going to be driven around ecosystems. And every organization, in fact, or most organizations are in some respects are going to become technology organizations. And I'm seeing more and more of this happen. You can look at some of just some of the announcements that are going on in our industry about some brick and mortars companies that are really evolving. Most recently for me, it was, it was the announcement from CVS and Microsoft and what the potential for that to be for healthcare. So what do you believe, like, what do you believe the greatest opportunities for growth and transformation look like for us and for the partner ecosystem? Wow. It might be hard to, to label what I think are the greatest. When you say every company becomes a technology organization, it, it reminds me of my prior gig, which was at, at OutSystems. And there the vision was every company is becoming a software company right? It's kind of the same thread. And there we were making an opportunity for every partner and every customer to become a software company and, and really drive innovation. So that was you know, really a game changer and, and part of that whole digital transformation. And, and now with Beyond Trust, we're giving every partner and every organization the opportunity to, to protect themselves against cybersecurity threats, which as every company becomes a technology organization and there's IoT and new devices and everything else and mobile, mobile workforce, there's more and more exposure to risk to the bad guys, right? So new technologies are, are creating new risks and we're helping to solve that. And I think from a channel perspective, obviously all these new technologies give the partners new capabilities. They themselves have the opportunity to become more of a technology company and pulling together these best of breed products into a, a concrete solution, many times for a particular functional area or vertical area. That's a lot of us vendors have more horizontal platforms and horizontal solutions, and we're leaning on the channel 
to provide that vertical, that niche solution that they can pull three, four, five solutions together to put that in place for their customers. That's the huge opportunity for the channel. And then whatever the technology, whoever the partner, I still believe the biggest opportunity comes by us and our partners focusing on customer success. And that means we as a vendor have to focus on partner success. Yeah, very good point. And what you alluded to here, you suggested is that such an exciting time, but such a scary time in some respects when we think, think about security. So everything is technology driven. Everything is exposed. I mean, we saw a couple outages recently with AWS that shut down businesses and industries for a period of time. And that's scary. And then your point about verticalization is huge. I think what we're starting to see, and I've seen this with some of the organizations I work with, is this great propensity to get much more verticalized, even for horizontal solutions, to your point. Because ultimately, it's about delivering even a horizontal solution as part of a bundled solution set to a particular constituency, whether it be healthcare, fintech, whatever the vertical markets are. And But coming at it and organizing it so that it's more palatable to the buyer or to the decision maker, which is not always the CIO any longer, right? It's no longer just the CIO. It's the business decision makers that are making the purchases. Yeah. And I think there's another element to this too. And, and you, do, you do a lot of work with Microsoft. There's a huge trend towards the marketplaces, Microsoft Marketplace, AWS. And so as, as us as vendors see more business shift to the marketplace, that creates more of an opportunity for us to partner with those cloud service providers, sales teams, as well as their partners. And those sales teams, if you want to get their attention to drive more consumption on, on their platform, just approaching them with your technology isn't going to really get them interested because they're out there talking to their customers. They want also those verticalized solutions, which many times is a combination of your technology with two or three other partners, uh, services, and maybe a couple other vendor technologies. And I believe marketplaces, I, we're just at the beginning of this, right? I, I mean, think about what's happened just in the last two years. Like this morning at 5.45 in the morning, I was ordering things on Amazon, right? No, they'll probably be there by 10 a.m. Exactly. And these are the decision makers of the some in the current and some in the very near future are going to be Gen Z type decision makers. And this is the only way they've purchased. Yeah. I don't want to get on the phone with a, I'm going to be very crass here and call it a peddler, like somebody who's trying to sell me a SaaS solution and calling me on the phone every day to trying or sending me emails. No, I'm going to make the decision. I'm going to go through the process that I normally would go through. And isn't it amazing, Vince, to see the size of transactions starting to take place in that model? It is striking. I mean, we are yeah. talking about million and multi-million dollar transactions every day. And I've had some of those folks on my podcast that have customers that are moving their solutions or already have transactable solutions in marketplaces. It is striking. Yeah. And it's a challenging for the marketing teams. Well, marketing's transformed, right? I mean, we talk about what's happened in MarTech for the last 10 years or so, this last decade. Yep. So that also ties into how we sell in the future too. And I think there, we're, like I said, we're just on the precipice of how this will, it'll be very interesting to come back to this discussion in uh, 2029, Rob. We, yeah. But that's what makes it so much fun for all of us in this business, Vince. It's, just, it's changing so rapidly. We got to keep our, our brains engaged to figure it out. Keep thinking. I was just listening to your podcast, your, your one with Dr. Gervais. Very fascinating. And, and just this growth mindset and learning mindset. We've got to just keep that going on, on steroids. We discount this so much. And it's one of the reasons I, I, I was profoundly influenced and so lucky to get to spend time with people like him. And it's helped. Like, look what's happened to Microsoft, right? In the last several years with Satya, the company is 10x valuation. But also every organization needs to come at it 
from this growth mindset. And, and you also have to help your people from a sustainability perspective, nurture the mind. So for 2022, is there like, is there anything that's striking you? Like if you had to give one, I don't know if I say a prediction, but one suggestion above all others for our listeners, Rob, I'm putting you on the spot here. What would it be? Well, yeah, that's obviously a, a big question. I'll put it in the in terms of what I'm doing myself. So the advice that I'm taking in my role as channel chief, and that is really expansion to ecosystems. So our company, I think like many companies, many companies that I've stepped into when I come on board in a channel role, have their traditional channel or channels that they're used to. And it's running, maybe great, maybe not so great, but it, they're just, that's kind of the mode and everyone's used to it. And so my advice and the advice that I'm taking and I'm bringing to our company and pushing is a, a new strategy of a much broader mindset of this entire partner ecosystem from the early stages of a customer getting interest in your product or interest in the, that, the need for that type of solution all the way through to renewals and that entire landscape of what kind of partners do we need and what motions do those partners need to be good at to have a happy customer, to land that customer and have a happy customer for life, right? So that's what I'm really driving. And it requires taking a look at our partner program. We got to look at our, our partner contracts. We got to look at partner marketing. We're looking at our development and are we developed to take advantage of new platforms, marketplaces, new alliance partnerships, that type of thing. And how do we go out and, and attract and grow those new channels? And then tied to that is how do we get our teams and even our channel managers ramped up and competent in being that ecosystem manager? It struck me when you started bringing the conversation about your teams, right? Because we can lay out wonderful strategies on paper. And it's sometimes it's the toughest part is getting the organization behind partnership. And I don't know, do you have a direct sales model? Or is it only channel? No, we have a direct sales model. And like any very traditional company that has both direct and channel, the level of channel engagement is certainly stronger the further you get away from the US. You know, we're just, most companies have a very standard traditional direct motion. It's much easier to sell direct for most companies when they're getting started. So the percentage of business that we rely on partners is, is goes from much lower in the US to just almost 100% the further you get away. You know, I spend a lot of time on the mindset aspects of partnering. It ties into the Dr. Gervais work, but it also ties into what I've seen from the best of the best and organizations. What have you seen from the best of the best? And when organizations didn't get it right, what did you see? It's, it's kind of interesting because best of the best, when things are really going well, they've got everything running. Everything's aligned and, and operating smoothly. When things fail, then I think you've got to ask yourself, well, why is it failing? Is it the strategy itself failing or is it the execution? Because many times what I've seen, and I've stepped into situations where it was the wrong strategy or sometimes it just, there was never a clearly articulated strategy. They, everyone was just out doing and then you get people all doing different things, right? So first is having that strategy that's totally aligned with what your customers need, what your partners need, what your board needs, what your executive team needs, driving that total alignment across the company on strategy. So that's the best of the best from a strategic point of view. And then on execution, if you got a great strategy, but execution is failing, why is that? Have you Maybe you don't have that internal alignment that you thought you had. So have you gone throughout the organization to see if you people are truly are aligned 
with the strategy that you're executing? Do you have alignment with the partners? Are they aligned to what you're doing? Hopefully you got their advice too, as you put all this together. No, and I refer to a lot of that as not only the alignment piece, but the commitment, right? Okay, we agreed that this is the right thing to do. Everybody, I love when you get people in a room and they go, oh, yeah, we need a partner strategy. Yeah. And then when you tell them what they need to go do after the fact to go execute against it, it's like another, it's like the pushback happens. Yes. And then it gets to the team. Do you have the right team, the right individuals? And many times you do, but are you enabling your team to succeed as well? So what are you doing to help your team win and be successful with this new strategy? And then I'd say the last time, sometimes you have a great strategy, you have great execution, but you lack, you have others that lack patience. And sometimes people just don't give partnerships enough time to succeed. I'm reminded of a time when I was asked to build a new business strategy that included partners. And the CEO of the company at the time said, hey, we need to go after this. But after about four or five months, he wasn't seeing the traction yet. And he w- I think he was going to blow up the business. In fact, he probably would have blown up the business, except the board decided to put a new CEO in place. <laughs> and that led to an incredible success for the company. And I've, it's going to be in the book that I'm still writing. But again, to your point, the patience, right? That's part, it's got to be there. You have to understand that this isn't, doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. People get impatient and, and you've got to continue showing success and sharing success. Show them the, the cookie crumbs of success that are to say, hey, we're on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. So if partnerships fail, a lot of it has to do with lack of, I'll call it lack of alignment, I think is what you said. And then also this uh, lack of patience around the execution component. And you and I have seen this before. You've been a channel chief in multiple organizations. I've been a channel chief. And then on the other side at Microsoft, talking with and working with channel chiefs. I find that in a lot of organizations, it's a struggle. That job is, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it's a tough job and people don't recognize how tough it can be. What would you say to those channel chiefs for how they could align for success? What do they need to do differently with their organizations specifically? Hmm. Be good listeners. Go out and sometimes in channel, and I've been guilty of this probably in the past too, is you have your mindset. You just know what's right, how this has to happen, right? What we got to do. And you go out and you're trying to convince everyone to go your path. And if, I think if you go out and you, you're better at listening and asking the right questions to understand what's driving that behavior and those, those feelings and emotions out in different departments, I think that's, that's going to get you started on a better path on building a strategy and getting them to participate in building that strategy with you. Because n- nobody likes people telling them what to do, but if they're part of building the solution, then you're not telling them what to do. They're just executing what they, what they help build. So have them have a shared ownership in the, ex- in the strategy, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we don't have a crystal ball. We are starting up a new amazing year. I'm hoping that this is, we're going to be able to turn, turn the corner here and go back to fully live. I know both of us got to speak at live events for the first time recently. Yeah. It was a great experience, wasn't it? Just to be in front of people again. It is so nice. Absolutely. So what do you think? We talk about some, we're seeing growth in transformation, technology leading the way. What about possible contractions? Like, what do you think is going to, like, where are we going to win? Like, if you were placing your bets now, where do you think we're going to win? And where do you think we're going to see contraction? Well, we we touched on a little bit earlier. Certainly, there's going to be a shift towards marketplaces as part of the transactional channel. So I think we've got to prepare for that. We're preparing for that. It's part of my strategy of thinking about, okay, a percentage of this business that's going to shift in terms of where our customers buying from, ver- from a reseller through a DISTI versus directly off of a marketplace. And then so part of that, how do we want to leverage that 
through our partnerships and the marketplace vendors themselves. So I think that's a big growth area. I think the whole influencer channel, we've been talking about this for a long time. Some folks are starting to get better and better at it. I think that's a huge growth area. And, and that's something I think it's going to take another five years for, for us to really figure it out. Agreed. Um, all those touch points that those customers have. And then I think the wild card are the distributors. And I think that could be go back to being a, a growth area if they can really nail how to be those aggregators and integrators of the seven layer cake that Jay talks about, those yeah. all the different products that make up that, that final solution. So I think those are all growth areas for contraction. I do think, and, and we're expecting it and people are seeing it, it's, it's that traditional transactional, you know, reseller of Arvad channel. And I, we don't expect it to, to contract in terms of revenue, but we do expect it to contract in terms of percentage of our mix. And it's probably going to hold pretty flat as we keep growing all the other areas of the ecosystem. And as you talked about each of these types, I think each of those areas have an opportunity to transform. The DISTI model, to your point, has an opportunity to transform. Even the VARVAD model has an opportunity to transform and become more of a ongoing solution provider, managed service provider, right? Provide a lot more wraparound to the client. I'm starting to see a lot of that as well. Yeah, I think those, a lot of those partners already are transitioning or have transitioned their model. And to your point, the tools, like you, you alluded to this with the influence model, like the tools aren't there to support it. I know we've both talked to Jay about this as well. And this is why this uh, technology ecosystem, the, the technology stack around channel and ecosystem is going to be so important to build out of that. I think we're still at the early stages. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not just a channel tool, it's a marketing tool too. Our, our CMOs are looking for ways to, to tap these influencers. It wasn't that long ago that we would throw money in a black hole and we'd say, okay, we're going to throw X number of dollars at trade shows. We're going to throw X number of dollars at print ads. And we don't know where it's going to go. We don't know how to attribute against it. We think we'll get some leads from a lead mechanism. But today, the technology is just so precise. And I think we're in similar, it's a similar analogy in the partner world. Like we throw money at it. We think we're getting, but we're not seeing the attribution maybe to the same level that we hope to. And this influence model, to your point, several touch points need to be recorded, managed, and uh, attributed back to the transaction at the end. Yeah, figuring out how to do that well and not you know, delve into the privacy violations that people are pushing back more and more against. And Yeah, yeah. This has been a great conversation on our, our shared uh, love and passion. But I'd love to pivot here a little bit. As you might know from listening to other episodes, I'm fascinated with how people got to this spot in their career. Like, how did you become a vice president of channels and partners? So I was hoping maybe you could spend a few moments with us on your career journey, Rob. We talk about your channel journey, but how about your career journey? Yeah, I've had such a fun career journey. I've, I've really been lucky, Vince. Got my start fresh out of college with a job working on the oil rigs. Nothing to do with the channel. If I, I don't know. I've always been kind of an adventure seeker. I've always loved the outdoors. I wanted to work outdoors. So just working out on the ocean on these rigs, drilling, it was exciting. It was dangerous. Well, not for me. It was dangerous for the drillers who, who would lose fingers. But wow. fairly safe for me unless we had a you know really bad emergency. I really loved it. And Fortunately or unfortunately, there was a collapse in the price of oil right after I started my career. And so they pulled me off the rigs, said, hey, we're going to put you in a more of a business role. You're going to be in the trading group. And it turned out it was the international trading group, led me to, to traveling all over the world. And I fell in love with international business and thought, man, how do I translate that into something different? I think it's time to get out of the oil business. Well, it translated into landing a job as an international channel sales guy. And 
that was my first channel role with a little software company out of Boston. And I, I was working with partners for the first time in uh, Europe and Latin America. And I just loved it and have really stay, stuck with the channel ever since. And early in my career, moving, moving around different companies, doing these channel roles, I was really fixated on two things. One was the partner. I thought the partner could do no wrong. It was all about the partner. We got to make the partner successful. The second thing I was really concerned with was my advancement of my career. And I was totally focused on how do I get to the next level? How do I get to the next level? And it hit a point where my pivot was recognizing that that was really damaging my team and my company. Yeah. To be so overly focused on the partner could do no wrong and so overly focused on my career and my advancement. I, I learned a really painful lesson that it's not about me. It's not just about my partners. It's also about my team, elevating my team before myself. And it's about my company and protecting my company and our company's growth as I'm growing a channel. So that was the, the pivot when I finally got kind of hit on the head with a hammer and, and realized that I wasn't going down the right path. And then things really started developing for me once I, I started. And it took a number of years for me to really get better and better at, at helping my company and helping my team. But that, that was really my pivot in my career. Was the best piece of advice you got really around this or was there another best piece of advice you got along the journey? The best pieces of advice that I that stick with me, because I'm sure I've had tons of good advice, but they're kind of those those moments or lines that stick with you. And one had nothing to do with my career. It was a very successful real estate developer who developed actually the neighborhood that I lived in in Florida when I was there. And he loved to sail and I loved to sail. And I, and I went out to lunch with him and I was asking about how did he become successful? And I never forget the line that he told me. He said, Hey, Rob, always be prepared to tack. And I thought it was a great line and I've used it a lot since then. And, and it's really, we've got to continue iterating and improving what we do personally, our own growth, but also our partner programs and our teams. So you're continuing to iterate, but sometimes you've got to make a pretty big course correction when the winds change. And that could be a wind change of a new CEO. It could be a wind change of new technology, but you've always got to be ready, be prepared to tack. So that, that was one favorite line. And then the other is don't burn all your matches. So that that relates to the cycling that I do. And we, I go out cycling a lot. I talk about it on my podcast. But when you're out cycling, burning your matches means when you, you, you only have so many like bursts in you, in your legs and lungs. And if you do too many, you're going to fall off the pack. So you got to be very careful of when you burn your matches and you don't want to burn all your matches before <laughs> the end of the ride. And so that's kind of the endurance portion of being in channels and partnerships. And we were talking about it. It takes time, right? You don't, you can't do this in four to five months. You got to be an endurance channel athlete. So don't burn all your matches. Don't And burning matches could be promises that you make to the board or, or whatever it might be, or, or to your partners or to your team. Think about the longer time frame. I love that advice. I think it's great advice for any aspiring channel leader for our industry. So know when to tack and don't burn all your matches. That's right. And we didn't talk about, we, talk, we talked about, you, you alluded to sailing, right? So I was going to ask you about this. And it's, I love how you bring sailing into your podcast journey. The channel journeys also might also include some of your own journeys. How do you think that passion, how did, how did it fuel and inform your success? Well, I grew up in Seattle, in the mountains, on the water and, and being outside. I think when you grow, in the North, grow up in the Northwest, being outside is always part of you. And I think there are several elements to it. The, the, the sailing for me has become kind of that Zen moment. I try to get out once a year and do a long trip out on the ocean. And you're out there, no devices. I'm out there with a new crew, many times people I've never met before. And it's just kind of 
reflect your there are dangerous moments, but there are also a lot of moments of just reflecting. You're out there on, on your own, just middle of the night, just you and the stars, and you're just kind of contemplating and reflecting life. And so that's kind of my Zen time away. But also on the cycling side, that's my stress release. So cycling, I can do any time that I need to. You can get out quickly for a short ride or do a long ride on the weekend or whatever. That's my stress release. And these jobs are stressful. Like you said, channel chief's a very tough role. Any channel role is tough. You wear a lot of different hats and probably any job, any job has stress. So, and, and life has stress. So everyone needs a way to, to have a stress release. And mine is, is cycling and then sailings to calm me down, just get those resets every year. And do you just get, do the one big trip a year on sailing? Right now, yes. I, I live in Atlanta. So I guess I could, I could do some lake sailing. But I've gotten so passionate about ocean sailing, lake sailing has just gotten kind of boring for me. And plus, I only have so much time, so I'd rather be on the bike than on sailing on the lake. It sounds like you need to move back to Florida. I know. I know, Vince. I know someone who did that recently. Yeah. Yeah. You might want to think about it. So that you've been a great guest, Rob. I'm just so excited. It was so fun to have you here on Ultimate Guide to Partnering. I want to thank you for being such a great guest. But before we leave, we're not done yet, though. Before we leave. I've become a big fan of Spotify over the last couple of years. And I was hoping you could share with us. I was thinking like, okay, you're on this next sailing voyage uh, expedition, and but you could only take five songs on your playlist for that journey. Like, What would be the five songs you would pick to have on that playlist and why? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tough. It's like, what are the two things you'd bring to a deserted island? Yes. The first that always comes to mind, the first band that always comes to mind for me is The Who. Because nice, I I love the Who growing up. That was my you know my first high school rock band, my first concert I went to, rock concert I went to. So I'd have to pick the Who. Probably won't get fooled again. Is is the song I would pick from the Who? Great song. Yeah, I love that. My college years, I got more into the I don't know what it was called, t- techno rock or something. But I love New Order. That was my you know college dance scene and all of that. So I'd have to have a New Order song. I really love that one, Bizarre Love Triangle. Bizarre Love Triangle. Okay. We'll add that to the list. So add that to the list. Another college band, Depeche Mode. Yes. Good band. And so many great Depeche Mode songs. I'd probably pick Route 66. Route 66. I love it. Yeah. That song just pumps me up. So then I'd probably change course a little bit and kind of on my reflective side. When I was studying languages, when I was working for that channel company in Boston and traveling all over the world, I wanted to learn languages. So I went to this Harvard. Well, he wasn't a Harvard professor, but he worked just off campus from Harvard. And he, he was teaching me like how to learn five languages at once. And he would always walk in singing How Great Thou Art in this baritone voice. And I never understood why. But then Carrie Underwood came out with her version. And that has become my favorite kind of spiritual inspirational song. Nice. I have to listen to that. I don't think I've ever heard that one. It, I don't know if it'll touch you, but it, it touches me every time I hear it. So I would have to bring that with me. And then there's a brand new song. Well, it's pretty brand new. And this is Christmas time. So I have a lot of thoughts about Jesus. And there's this, this gal, Ann Wilson, wrote this song, Let Me Tell You About My Jesus. I don't know. It's just been a, a moving song for me to hear it. And what's the name of the song again? I think it's called My Jesus. My Jesus. Okay. Yeah. And I've got a lot of faith in, so I'm not an evangelist, so I don't talk about it much. But that's a song that really touches me. That's great. Rob, thank you so much. We're going to share this Spotify playlist with our listeners. I want to thank you again. Uh, You are an amazing friend, but I want to thank you for helping 
to start the new year for our amazing listeners. So thank you today. Vince, it has really been my pleasure. I love what you're doing. Keep it up. You have just got great guests, great shows. I wish you a ton of success this year. And same to you, Rob, as well. So thank you. Thank you. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by PartnerTap, the partner ecosystem platform most trusted by enterprise. Drive more revenue with your partners and learn more at partnertap.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.